Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning, it's Pastor Julie, and this morning we are in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 6 to 9a. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see them naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I have to admit, I knew a lot more about Nelson Mandela than I did Sojourner Truth, and maybe that's because he was alive during my lifetime, and he always fascinated me. I saw his inner strength, his ability to stand tall and to hold out a hand to those who literally wanted him dead, as he began to put what had been so wrong right. Sometimes I wonder if I had been in his place, would I have had the courage to hang on to my Christian values the same way? Thank God I'll never have to answer that question. Every one of us is born in a specific place and time, and who but God knows why. But I believe there is a purpose and plan for all of that, that we are all called to something. And even if it's not something for the history books, it is crucial to the time and place we find ourselves to answer our calling as part of God's ultimate plan, plan for our own individual lives and for the world in general. I could be a dreamer, but that's what I believe. As I studied the life of Sojourner Truth, I found myself once again wondering not only how she survived all the terrible things that happened to her, but how she stood tall and became a champion for the oppressed, even with most of the odds stacked against her. We are all aware of the scourge of slavery, and most of us have heard the stories of the atrocities that go with it. And I say go with it, because even though slavery, as we tend to think of it, when African people were brought here as enslaved people to be bought and sold like cattle, something we like to believe is in the past. Slavery, although it has a new face we call human trafficking, still exists, and those atrocities go on even if they tend to stay out of sight and we don't have to look at it. But this morning we will talk about slavery through the eyes of one of those long-ago slaves and how her faith in God not only sustained her but gave her what I call extraordinary strength to do extraordinary things. She answered her call, and in doing so she lit the flame of truth, shining a light on all forms of oppression, and like Mandela, changed the world for good. She was born simply Isabella in or around 1797, and James and Elizabeth, to James and Elizabeth, slaves of Colonel Johannes 
Hardenberg, a celebrated Revolutionary War hero in Hurley, New York. Slavery in the North, while still slavery, was a bit different from slavery in the South. Most slave owners in the North only owned one or two, maybe up to six if they were wealthy, but not as many as most slave owners in the South who owned plantations. Most of them just worked in the house as maids and cleaners, harvesting the crops, fixing things, etc. And this also had the effect of the slaves learning and speaking the language of the owners, which in her case was Dutch. Since they didn't have much contact with a lot of other slaves of African descent, they didn't learn about their heritage or culture. They spoke, dressed, and behaved much like the families that owned them. They usually had their own living quarters, so life in that aspect was better than the southern slaves. But it was still a hard life. Isabella was the youngest of 10 to 12 children, and she only ever really knew one sibling, her brother Peter. All the other children were either sold or kidnapped before she arrived, and this was a constant source of grief and depression for her parents. And she lived with constant anxiety, knowing that her turn would come one day, possibly without warning, and it did. At age nine, she was sold for $100 to another family. She was severely beaten, so much so that God sent her father to rescue her, and she knew it was God because God had told her he was coming. She was sold to another family, and then when she was 12, she was sold to John Dumont for $175. She was with that family as a slave for the next 16 years. While there, she was physically and sexually abused, both by John and his wife Sally. While there, she married Thomas, another slave, picked for her by John Dumont. She had at least four children, three girls and a boy. She named her son after her brother, Peter. It was also during this time that Isabella's faith journey began. She wasn't allowed to go to church, but she found ways of worshiping on her own and talked to what she called her God frequently. John Dumont promised that he would give her her freedom a year before New York declared its Emancipation Proclamation, scheduled for July 4th, 1827. She held him to that, even though he tried to renege on it after she injured her right hand severely, making it essentially useless. He told her that since she couldn't work as much to pay her debt, she would have to work out that remaining year. But she was determined to take hold of her freedom and on her terms. In 1826, during what is known as the Great Second Great Awakening, with revivals and Methodist-style camp meetings, she heard the voice of God telling her to leave as a free woman. She took her youngest child, Sophie, and went to live with the Van Wagner family. When John came to take her back, they paid him $25 for Isabella and $5 for the baby for one year. So there they stayed. She joined the Methodist Church, and their values took hold of her for the rest of her life. They taught to avoid alcohol, fancy dress, dancing, and profanity. They called for living and dressing simply, subduing anger, and avoiding wastefulness. She belonged to a branch of Methodism that adhered to the holiness traditions. This meant that the Holy Spirit was celebrated and called on in every aspect of their life and worship. Pentecost was the most important day of the year, celebrating the gift of the Spirit given to the apostles. 
that gave them the strength and power to do miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. When the year the Van Wagnons paid for was ending, she had a vision that John Dumont was coming to get her, and indeed, he showed up that very day. However, even though she had decided to go with him, as she was about to get into the carriage with Sophie, a bright light surrounded her as God revealed himself to her. She recounts that she saw her sin and became so convicted that she did not want God to look on her again out of fear. But then she saw Jesus reaching out to her in love. And she felt that love so vividly and knew in that moment that his love would always be with her. When the light was gone, so was John Dumont. And she knew she was now free. In this moment, she was free from despair, free from fear, and felt that she had been reborn. She also had a newborn confidence that she was a person of value and knew that she had living within her the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that power, she could oppose the rich and powerful of the world. And she would need that confidence and power in ways she couldn't possibly understand. She was free, but her children were not. At the end of 1826, Dumont sold her son Peter at the age of six to relatives. Peter would be sold on three more times in rapid succession and finally ended up in Alabama. At the time, it was illegal to sell a northern slave to someone in the South. Slavery was officially ending in New York in 1827, but the South showed no signs of that. She knew that if he stayed there, he would be a slave all his life. She had no money. She was a poor black woman with no education, unable to read or write. But God told her that she would get him back. And the only way for her to do that was to go to court. She prayed for the means to do it. And through her contacts, she was able to get lawyers who successfully argued her case. She won, and her son was returned in 1828. She said that through it all, I felt as if the power of a nation was within me. Well, we know it was more than just a nation, right? While she had been living at the Van Wagnon, she began to preach and sing. They encouraged her to preach to bigger audiences, and she started to preach at some of those camp meetings. She drew more crowds than well-established and celebrated preachers like John Maffitt, an Irish Methodist preacher who was known for his charismatic preaching and was, in 1841, the U.S. Congress chaplain. It was reported that her preaching converted large numbers of people, and she could outpray and outpreach her, her fellow preachers. On June 1st, 1843, she was reborn again as she took the name Sojourner Truth. It was the day of Pentecost, and she heard the Spirit tell her that as she was made new, so should her name be new. Sojourner is a word that means someone living in a place, not their own. She equated it to Lot living in Sodom. He was a righteous man living in an unrighteous place. Truth is what preachers are called to preach, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, always important to her, is also referred to as the Spirit of Truth. On this day, she saw God as an all-powerful, all-pervading Spirit who spoke to her directly. In her new life as Sojourner Truth, she began her mission and career 
of anti-slavery feminism, fighting to abolish slavery and fighting for the rights of women. <clears throat> Methodist minister James Boyle helped open the way for her to answer this call directly from God. I wish I had time to talk about all the meetings, the tours, and the journey of this incredible woman, but I'll pare it down to what is most important. She went all over the North preaching at anti-slavery and women's suffrage meetings. She was well known for her quick wit and her directness. She worked alongside people like Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, Susan B. Anthony, and was immortalized by prominent writers like Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote an embellished story about Sojourner Truth called The Libyan Sybil, which lifted her to almost a celebrity status around the world, even if a lot of the story was not exactly the truth. She was not from Libya, but she was, as the word Sybil means, a prophetess who spoke for God. Stowe recounted a story about Sojourner at an abolitionist meeting where Frederick Douglass was speaking. At this point, he was very discouraged and felt that nothing would ever change. He was to the point of advocating violence to force the end of slavery. When he was done speaking, Stowe reported that Sojourner stood up and said to him, Frederick, is God dead? In that moment, the flame of hope was lit again in him and in all who were present. It was electrifying. She had a way of speaking plainly and powerfully, no matter what the topic, and she always gave glory to God and the power of the Holy Spirit. She often said that her faith was grounded in the knowledge of goodness, that goodness, because it comes from God, has no beginning and no end. It will last forever. Evil, however, did have a beginning, and therefore it must have an end. In her fight for women's rights, she was one of the few who was fighting for all women's rights. Since many of her contemporaries, those champions of the right to vote, like Susan B. Anthony, were more focused on the rights of white women. At one particularly divisive meeting where the male speakers were trying to keep women from advanced education and voting based on their inferiority seen as the consequence of Eve bringing sin into the world, Sojourner got up to speak <clears throat> and told all of them that we should not pay attention to the plight of women in the Old Testament, but look to the gospel and how Jesus treated women. She also said that if men believed that one woman, Eve, had the power to turn the world upside down, then why wouldn't we want to get all these women here what they need to turn it back aright? As for what God thought of women and by default of men, Sojourner masterfully asked, how did Jesus come into the world? He came through God and a woman. He apparently didn't need a man. So who was important in God's eyes? Even as a respected speaker and advocate, she was frequently harassed and mistreated. She was the victim of many incidents of pure racial prejudice and hatred, but she stood tall, took people to court, and won. And she even met three presidents, Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Johnson, and Ulysses S. Grant. 
When she died in November of 1883, she was around 86 years old, and she was eulogized by Frederick Douglass and many others. She had made a name for herself, literally, when she took the name Sojourner Truth. And as she fought to set the oppressed free and all the ways that she had the power and strength to do, she claimed the rebirth that is given to us through the power of the Spirit and held on to the Spirit's power to do mighty things and overcome mighty challenges. Hers wasn't a perfect life, but she got up every day and fought the good fight. She took hold of the love of Christ and lit the flame of truth wherever she went. As for us, those who follow her life of standing up for the rights of others, what does her story have to teach us? Well, like Mandela, I know I will never come close to living in the kind of oppression they each faced. Nor can I comprehend what it felt like to have someone else have that kind of authority over my life. But I do understand how wrong it is for any human being to try to control another through oppression of any kind. And that could be physical, yes, but also psychological, which is what bullying and domestic violence is an attempt to do. Financial oppression, like charging the poorest of the land the highest interest, or making aid and assistance only available at a level that will keep them perpetually in debt, there are many forms of oppression still in our world today. We often turn a blind eye or are indifferent as long as it doesn't affect us personally. And that's what I meant about human trafficking. Young men, girls, and boys are trapped in a slave-like world. And it, for me, dampens my joy for events like today's Super Bowl as I know that these kind of events bring a dramatic increase in this sort of evil. What would Sojourner think about the new face of slavery? What does God think? How can we, like Sojourner, speak the truth to power and put an end to the new forms of oppression wherever we find them? Will we wait till it affects us personally? Or will we pay attention and do something, anything, to end the scourge of slavery, of the continued forms of racism, and to keep raising the issue of women's rights since we know that there still isn't equality. I suggest that the first thing we are called to do as Christians is to open our eyes and see that oppression all around us. We won't speak up or act against something that we don't see is a problem. Then pray. What is God calling you to do about it? We aren't called to do it all. But in this place and time, we are all called to do something. Stand up and light the flame of truth on whatever form of oppression you see. We'll never have to overcome the same obstacles Sojourner Truth had to overcome. But we all have the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that gives us the power of not just nations, but of the universe, the power of God. Light the flame and let the power of God do the rest in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.